Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. Um, I'm dovetailing um, the messages for December with the theme of Advent. As was stated earlier in the service, um, we're talking about joy today. That's the theme of Advent week number three. Um, It seems like everywhere you look, there's the word joy in the holiday season. It's associated with Christmas, the word joy. Um, But for many Christians, um, this is one of the most difficult times of the year. I love Christmas, but we also, we need to be cognizant of people who are struggling during this time. Why is Christmas season why is it such a, why can it be such a difficult season? One word, stress. And this is kind of funny. There's actually pressure to be jolly. Pressure, think of that. There's pressure to be happy. Um, if I ask many of you, what's the, what's the opposite of happy? Many of you would say pressure, stress. But yet, in the holiday season, there's pressure to be jolly. Uh, what kind of pressures are we talking about? There's pressure to get all the family together. Pressure to get all the right gifts to express your love to people. Pressure to have the perfect, beautiful meal. Pressure to have the right decorations. Pressure to travel. Pressure to, well, in this case, pressure to stay home this year. Pressure to host. Pressure to make memories. Um, Our time's overextended. Our money's overextended. And the normal routines that add stability to our lives um, are lacking. All right. So, uh, and additionally, and Adam mentioned this earlier, additionally, many of you, for, for many of you, Christmas is not represented by the, 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 the day where you get to be with the family member that you love so much. It represents the day where you wish you could be with the family member that's no longer with you. And we need to be mindful of people who are struggling during the season. I love Christmas, but many people um, struggle during the season. <clears throat> On that note, if you need prayer, at any, really at any time, um, but especially through this season, we'll have prayer counselors um, up here after the service. Um, or if you're online, you can put a prayer request in the chat right now. There were people monitoring that chat, and we'll pray with you. Um, and if you want to do a confidential prayer request, you can put that into our, go to our website, citylights.church. But we want to be here for you and help people who are struggling during this time. But um, there's pressure to be jolly. There's pressure to capitalize on the Christmas season. It's like summertime too. There's pressure to get everything in during the summer because it seems like such a short season, right? Have you ever guys, have you ever gone on vacation and you feel vacation pressure? It's like, we have to have a good time. Hurry, you know, wake up. Why didn't you wake up? You said you were, we were going to go parasailing. No, you said we were going to sleep in. No, I said I wanted to sleep in. I didn't say I was going to sleep in and now we've wasted the entire day, right? You ever been there? No, we were going to do that. No, we were going to. It's hard because on vacation, you want to sleep in, you want to rest, but you also want to take advantage of the time you have, right? There's pressure. You ever get into a fight with your spouse on a vacation? That feels like a ripoff, doesn't it? It's like, we could do this at home. We don't, we don't need to pay money, get on a plane, go to a beach to fight. We can do this at home. Many times there are pressures when there should not be pressure. There's pressure to be jolly. I have come to the conclusion that for Westerners, many times we believe in the Christmas of joy rather than the joy of Christmas. Let me say that again. 
we believe in the Christmas of joy rather than the joy of Christmas. There's a subtle yet profound difference here. The Christmas of joy alludes to a particular Christmas season where you got all your ducks in a row and figured it all out. That was a good Christmas. Why? We, everything lined up. It was great. We enjoyed it so much, and it snowed on Christmas Day. It was a white Christmas, right? The joy of Christmas is an abundant appreciation for what God has provided for us. It's a transcendent joy, and that is a joy that you have access to year-round, not just in December. If you get a hold of a revelation of the joy of Christmas and what that means to us, the gift that we have been given in the person of Jesus coming into this world, that is a gift that gives year-round. The title of our message today is called The Joy of Redemption. I want to talk about the joy of redemption It's messy in the middle, right? Messy in the middle sometimes. But God brings a joy of redemption. I love it when those words dovetail with what I'm preaching today, and it it is. Joy. Is this joy thing a big deal? Some people are like, what's this joy thing all about? Do I need joy? Do I really need joy? Listen, there's a direct correlation between being a joyful person and being spiritually strong. There's a direct correlation between being a joyful person and being spiritually strong. Show me a Christian who has great joy, and I'll show you a Christian who is spiritually strong. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. No joy, no strength. Okay, we need joy. Now, I want to look at that whole verse. I want to pull it into context and, and look at that whole verse. Nehemiah 8.10, it says this, then he said to them, Nehemiah, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. It's a good place for an amen. (laughs) Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portion to those for whom nothing is prepared. That's giving gifts, right? For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, this particular verse isn't talking about Christmas, but it is talking about, it is celebrating God's redemption. Let me give you a little background. Because of Israel's poor choices, worshiping other gods and not following the law, they were driven into exile by the Babylonians in 586 BC. The temple is destroyed, and in 538 BC, they're able to return and rebuild the temple. The exile officially ends. But even after the exile ends and the temple was rebuilt, the walls of Jerusalem remained broken down for another 94 years. So they're back on their land, they built their temple, but the walls of Jerusalem are broken down for another 94 years. Nehemiah steps in with the decree of King Artaxerxes, and he does in 52 days what they couldn't do in the previous 94 years. But the reason why building a wall in a city, an ancient city, the reason why building a wall is so important, because a city's strength was represented by the strength of its wall in an ancient city. In the New Testament, for us, for the believer, for you, for me, our strength can be measured by the wall of joy, the wall of joy around us. Your strength can be measured by the wall of joy around you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. No joy, no strength. Um, I believe today there are some of us here, parts of our wall, part of that uh, infrastructure that God has placed around us to protect us has been broken down. I believe God wants to restore that today. Nehemiah told them, go eat choice food, go drink sweet drinks. But right before that, this is what happened. This is why he said that. Somebody found a copy of the Bible. Somebody found a copy of the law. 
Ezra reads the law and then they realize what dismal failures they had all become. They realized how far they had fallen short and they're, they're weeping and they're mourning. They realize, oh my gosh, we have, we have transgressed God's laws. Nehemiah says this, hey, there's going to be a time for weeping and repentance, but today it needs to be a day of joy. Okay, here's my point, what I want to say about this. It is impossible to have the joy of the Lord and to be currently weighed down by the guilt of your inadequacies. No one ever said this. No one was ever like, I'm just, how you doing? Oh, I've got, I'm full of joy. I'm really condemned though. I've got a lot of condemnation. I feel really bad about my past decisions and mistakes, but I'm full of joy, right? <laughs> lots of joy, lots of, lots of guilt as well. You know, those two things don't go together, do they? Right? To have the joy of the Lord, you can't be weighed down by the guilt of your past and inadequacies, the things that you don't measure up. King David <clears throat> wrote Psalm chapter 51 right after the, the, uh, the prophet Nathan confronted him after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. Okay, This is like the biggest mess up of David's life. He sees this woman, you know, he's in Jerusalem where he should be out fighting with the men. He sees this woman bathing on the top of her roof, right, in the sun. Sees this naked woman, brings her to him, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, has her husband killed to cover it up. Like, this is a big boo-boo, right? Okay. Second uh, Samuel eleven twenty-seven says this, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I think that's like one of the biggest understatements in the Bible. But the thing David had done, just please the Lord. It's like when Jesus had got done fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and it says, and behold, he was hungry. It's like, yeah. That makes sense. Write that down. He's hungry. <clears throat> this is David's biggest mess up. And then he writes Psalm chapter 50. I love when you can... Um, read a psalm and then find out when he wrote that psalm, go back and read it in context what he was going through. He writes Psalm chapter 51 right after he royally messes up, big time. Um, I'm going to read a, a section of that. It's right after Nathan gives him the biggest rebuke of his life, right after he commits adultery. He's the shepherd of Israel. He's supposed to be the one protecting the sheep of Israel, right? The people, and said he's sh stealing sheep. This is a man in distress. This is a man who got caught. This is a man in deep repentance. It says this, Psalm 51, verses 1 through 3, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Right? He says, I can't get away from the guilt of my, my shame and my inadequacies, it's impossible to have the joy of the Lord when you're way down with the guilt and your inadequacies. So doesn't it feel like that sometimes? You're just intimately acquainted with how bad you mess up or how bad you don't measure up to what you think you need to be measuring up to. Jump down to verse 12. He says this. So he's got the guilt of his, his sin in front of him. He says this, Psalm 51, 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Many of us begin with the joy of the Lord. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. We give our lives to him, right? We have the joy of the Lord because his grace set us free. And then along the way, we stumble and make decisions. I'm not saying you should do that or you have to do that. 
but many times we do, right? And then the guilt of those decisions, uh, decisions begin to weigh us down and the condemnation. It's impossible to have the joy of the Lord when we're weighed down with the guilt of our shame and our inadequacies. All right? So how do we get our eyes off of our mishaps and back on the joy of the Lord and on his redemption? <clears throat> Number one, you need to rest in the finished work of the cross. Rest in the finished work of Jesus. This is, I, I don't remember which number it is, but this is one of our core values here at this church, that we rest in the finished work of Jesus. And we don't clean ourselves up to come to God. We rest in the finished work of Jesus. It leads to a life of joy. In Nehemiah's day, it looked like eating choice foods and uh, drinking sweet drinks. In our day, it looks like feasting on the finished work of the cross that Jesus provided for us. John chapter 6, verses 57, Jesus said this, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. We're supposed to feed, and of course this is alluding to um, communion, but when we take communion, we're supposed to remember the finished work of the cross, that he did it all. He completed it all for us. Listen, everything that can be done to make you right with God has been done. Everything that poss- can possibly be done to make you right with God has been done because Jesus accomplished it all. He fulfilled all of the, the law's requirements to make you right with God. We rest in the finished work of the cross. <clears throat> it leads to a life of joy. Are you resting in his finished work or are you relying on your own performance? Are you resting in his finished work or are you relying on your performance? Performance-based Christianity is death. It will, it will take the joy out of living for Jesus. The whole book of Galatians is written to a group of people who started in the grace of God, who had received the grace of God, and were being seduced to come back under performance. And he said this to the Galatians church. He says, what has happened to all your joy? What's happened to your joy? Their joy's gone. Why? They've gone back under performance. He says, Paul says this, get back under grace. That's where the joy is. Come on. That's where the joy river is. Get back under grace. By the way, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is an empowerment to live holy. The more you lean into grace and receive that love that he has for you, the more holy you're going to walk anyway. Why? Because why would you trample on that blood? Why would you trample on the blood of Jesus? The more you receive his grace, the more holy you get. The more you want to love him, the more you want to walk with him. Amen? All right, so number one, rest in the finished work of Jesus. It leads to a life of joy. Listen, in my own life, whenever I feel like, man, I'm just not measuring up my inadequacies, it's, listen, it's death to go in. Many times it's death to go inward. There's, it's time, it, it's, it's not wrong many times to have moments of introspection and, you know, praying and God, you know, praying about your heart, whatever, whatever it is you do, I don't know. <clears throat> but it's better to be Jesus-focused, Right? Get your eyes on Jesus. This is religion is my eyes on myself, my, my eyes on my performance, my, my eyes on me cleaning myself and doing good and working hard. That's religion. It's man's obligation to God. Christianity is not about man's obligation to God. It's about coming into reality of what he's already provided for us. That's a good word right there. All right. Rest in the finished work of the cross. It's so good. Number two, walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Walk and step with the Holy Spirit. You ever see military people 
when they walk in step, they, they line their steps up. We need to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Happiness is based upon what happens. Joy is a fruit of being in Christ. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, through 23, it's a very famous portion of scripture. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Joy is a fruit of being in the Holy Spirit, a life in the Holy Ghost. Amen? We don't have the fruit of the Spirit to walk in the Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit because we're in the Spirit. Amen? Because we have the Holy Spirit, that's why we have the fruit, right? The root is being in Him. I've I've heard people, this bothers me, (laughs) when people say, I want to walk in the Spirit, so what am I going to do? I'm going to have the fruit of the Spirit. No, you're going to get in the spirit and then you will bear the fruit thereof. Amen? Okay. He will produce it in you. Why? Because it's his grace. Which leads us to point number three, which is receive God's grace. Just receive his grace. That will lead you to a life of joy. Do you want to be joy-filled? Do you want to be strong spiritually? I do. Uh, Receive his grace. Uh, We read this verse last week, but I want to pull some more meaning out of it. Uh, Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is righteousness? It is our right standing, our right relationship before our God. Okay, we don't have our own righteousness, but God makes his righteousness available to us. Guys, the gospel is so good. Isn't the gospel good? I love reading Romans and the, the epistles of Paul where he makes his righteousness available to us. Are you kidding me? This is so good. See, I'm smiling. Joy. See? <clears throat> All right. Romans 5.17 says this, For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? It's the gift of righteousness. He gives righteousness to us. It's so good. It's not our righteousness. It's his, but he gives it to us. We receive so righteousness. I've preached on this before. It's worth saying again. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy, and the Holy Spirit. I've heard people preach, you know, the kingdom is a third righteousness, a third peace, and a third joy. And there's probably some truth to that. But in my opinion, those things are stacked upon one another. Because we are righteous, we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, the, the natural outflow is joy. Of course, if you have peace with God, if you were fully convinced that you were righteous, fully convinced that, you had, that he made peace with you, what, what else could you do but have joy? Come on. Righteous peace overflowing into joy. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between biblical joy and joy as the, the word joy as we know it. Here's the uh, English definition of joy. A feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Nothing wrong with that. Feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Except for the word feeling, as you all know, our feelings do this, right? My wife's more than mine. Just kidding. Love you, babe. It's it's true. She is more emotional than I am. I'm... I've been told I'm just, yeah, not an emotional person. I thought I was an emotional person. And then people around me said, no, you're not. You're just, 
there, you know, <laughs> always there. So, okay, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Okay, how many think that that's the biblical definition of joy? I, I wouldn't be putting this in my notes if it was, because it wouldn't be very important. But it isn't. The word joy in the Bible is different. So if you look at Romans uh, 14, 17 that we just read and Galatians 5, uh, 22, the word joy there, um, uh, go ahead and put it up on the screen if it's not already awesome. The word joy, it's Strong's uh, 5479. Um, it's pronounced hara. Everyone say hara. Hara. Probably not saying exactly right. If you're a Greek scholar, I'm sorry. It means this extended favor lean towards, to be favorably disposed, the awareness of God's grace, favor, joy, or grace recognized. Here's the short definition. Joy because of grace. It, it's the result of grace. Joy. That's biblical joy. Sometimes, whenever you read the word joy in your Bible, don't be like, I have to conjure up joy now. No, it's, listen, it is a result of knowing that we're in right relationship with God, that grace that works in our lives produces joy. It's an awareness and an understanding and knowing of his grace in your life. It will produce joy. The word, um, so biblical joy is not the result of happenings. Happiness is based upon what happens. Joy is the fruit of the spirit. Biblical joy is a result of grace received and grace recognized. This is biblical joy. This is the thing, by the way, that should be the foundation of our lives, right? Our emotions do this, but grace recognized and grace received is the foundation for joy that we should have in our lives. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's really important that we get this. If you want to be strong, you have to have this. Okay. Grace and joy are very kindred words in the Greek. Um, So hara is joy in the Greek. Haris is grace. Haras is grace. Hara is joy. They're very kindred words. They work very much hand in hand. It's not a result of like, I had a good day today. I got a new this or this all went well. It's, a, it's an understanding of a revelation of God's grace in our lives. It, his grace produces joy. So do you want to have great spiritual strength in your life? You need great joy. How do you sustain joy in your life? Recognize and receive God's abundant provision of grace. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All right, I'll conclude with this. Psalm chapter 51, verse 12. David asked God to return to him the joy of his salvation. God did answer that prayer, and God did redeem and restore David. But more than that, the lineage of the Messiah that we celebrate when Jesus came into this world, the lineage of the Messiah, as you know, came through King David. So think about this. The person that we have, the, we place our faith and trust in, the one that came in this world, God became flesh. His earthly lineage came through King David. This was, of course, prophesied in 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 32 prophesied that from the line of David the Messiah would come. But I want to show you, the reason why I'm saying this, I want to show you a picture of God's redemption. Uh, Go ahead and put that um, picture up. This is a, I don't know if you guys can see this well, but this is a diagram of the house of David and the lineage of David leading to Jesus. 
And this isn't just a picture of David's redemption. This is a picture of our redemption. This isn't just David's story. This is our story. Because your faith and trust is in the Messiah. This line led to the Messiah. If you follow the lineage of Jesus through Matthew chapter 1, it outlines Jesus' lineage to his earthly father, Joseph. Okay, if you go through Matthew, you'll land with Joseph, who's the earthly father of Jesus. If you follow the lineage of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, it outlines Jesus' lineage to his mother, Mary. Okay, both lines, of course, go back to King David, the guy who had royally messed up. But here's the really interesting part about this story. Many of you know that Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. Okay, this is the guy that David had an adulterous affair with. The guy that became king, his, his mother, Bathsheba, was the one that David had royally messed up with. What many of you may not know is that David's other son, his third son, Nathan, not the prophet Nathan, his third son, Nathan, um, born of Bathsheba, was also born of Bathsheba. Okay, so no matter if you trace Jesus' lineage through his father's line or through his mother's line, both of those lines lead back to David and Bathsheba. And that whole story started in a scandal of epic proportions. Guys, that is a picture of God's redemption and grace. King David then goes on to to name this son. He names his third son after the prophet Nathan who had rebuked him, gave him like the rebuke of rebukes. He names his third son after this prophet. And through the line and lineage of that son, Mary, Mary is born. No matter which way you trace it, it's David and Bathsheba. Our, our Messiah's lineage is traced back through them. This is a story of God's abundant provision of grace. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but whether it's your life or your parents' life or your grandparents' life, if you think about crazy stories of how people have messed up, like maybe the fact that you're sitting in these seats in this city was the result of maybe very poor choices that you've had in the past, Right? And yet here you are in the middle of God's redemption. He can flip any story and bring redemption to any story. Here's my point. I don't know what you have done that makes you feel disqualified. But our Savior, if our Savior came through such a crazy scandal like that, how much more can he take what you've done, flip it, and work redemption through it? That's grace, guys. That's grace. That's redemption. Amen. I want to see the redemption of God's story in your life. I want to see the redemption of God's story in my life. How do we do that? We lean into the Lord. We lean into his grace. We lean into the finished work of the cross. And we let that grace do its work. And God will do an amazing thing in our lives. I'm going to pray and then we'll close. Father, we ask that if there's any here, God, who are weighed down, God, with life, stress, guilt, shame, condemnation, Lord, I pray you would return to them the joy of their salvation, Lord God. Not dependence on ourselves, God. Let's get our eyes off ourselves. Let's get our eyes on the finished work of the cross, on the grace of of Jesus. And God, I believe that we're going to witness redemption in our lives. God, only you can flip these stories, God. Only you can, 
can, can do that, Lord God. Only you can bring a work of grace, Lord God. So we just, I just bless these people. I bless this congregation. We thank you, God, for everything you're doing on our hearts and our lives, Lord God. Return to us the joy of our salvation. Give us a willing spirit, Lord God. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us and we hope you have a blessed week.